there are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Soul to Soul on your radio, and of Shabbos Kodesh, Pashas, Teruma, Tov, Shin, Pei, Gimel, and a very warm welcome to our entire radio family. Thank you so, so much for taking the time on a busy year of Shabbos to come, tune in on whatever kind of device, wherever you might be in, in the world, uh, whether in South Africa, out of South Africa, but to tune in, to listen, to hopefully spend a bit of time, but as, as, as friends, as, as, uh, as, uh, people who really care for each other, to learn and prepare ourselves for Shabbos Kodesh, that's that's coming imminently upon us. And it's so special. Baruch Shemwan, Chodesh Adar. Now we passed through Rosh Chodesh this week, which is Chodesh Adar. We're now really building up and counting towards the day of Chagapurim Habalainu, which may, please God, will be after next next Shabbos, it's next Monday night and and uh, and Tuesday. Next week we'll have time to speak some Torah about Purim and things like that. But today we're dealing with the Pasha of the Mishkan, and the Torah tells us the When has to place the lids of the Oran on ab- above the Oran to and into the Oran you'll place the Edus. Now Rashi notes that the Torah previously actually mentioned a few psalms before that, uh, and you should put into the Aaron the Luchas. She explains that it's teaching us that while it is an Aaron, in other words, just a cupboard without the kapparis, in other words, before the lid is on it, then you have to place the Luchas in inside of it. And afterwards, then you take the lid and place it on. Now, the Ramban, however, argues and claiming, no, the Postlik is indicating that the sequence has to be, first you put the Kapoiris on, and then, somehow, you put the Lucas inside as the Rashi's of the clearly of the opinion that when the Oran was brought into the Mishkan, the Edos was already inside of it, and the Kapiris was on top. Once it was inside the Kodesh HaKadoshim, so then the Parochus, right? Then the Parochus was, was, was hung. The Torah Edos was to be placed inside the Oran, even before the Oran was complete with the Kaparis above. Why is that? Why should the Torah be placed inside the Oran before it has been completed with the Kaparis above it? So if Arielev Hyman explains that this is done to demonstrate that the Oran is unlike any of the other Kalim, the vessels, in the, in the completed Mishkan. Why? Because, uh, the, let's, for example, the Lechem upon him, the showbread, was placed upon the Shulchan, once the Shulchan was already within the, the Mishkan's confines. The reason, right, is that, because their function is different. Right? The, the Menorah, Menorah only began to be used, only began to be lit, once it was inside the Mishkan. All the Klea Mishkan are, are present to just minutes to do the, the Avaida in, in the Mishkan. It's a, it's a holy place in which the Shkina, uh, uh dwells, almost as if HaKadosh was like earthly home. So that's unlike the Torah. The Torah which is the focus of the Mishkan, HaKadosh Baruch Hu designed the Mishkan as his home, so that he could be close to his Torah. Chazal in the Medrash uh, compare this to a king who gave his only daughter in marriage to another monarch who lived in a distant land. The father of the bride said, I gave my daughter to this man as a wife. I'm happy as a father. 
but it's impossible for me to remain separated from my child. I ask that you build a small apartment on the palace grounds so that I'll be able to come visit as often as I want. As you're saying, Hashem gave us his Torah from which Hashem can't, can't separate. He asked that we build a Mishkan so that the Torah will be there. And wherever the Jewish people move, the Mishkan will follow. And so will Hashem. Thus, the Mishkan serves the Torah, unlike all the other Kalim which serve the Mishkan. Since the Mishkan is present for the Oran, and the Oran enters it, right, Bishlemus, in, in, in its complete perfection, with the Torah in it. We should never make the mistake of thinking that the focal point is the Mishkan. It's the Torah, as if everything in our Avodah Hashem and all of our holy service, the Torah is our guide. It is our life, indeed. It really is life itself. 11.9 Chai FM. This is Soul to Soul. There's so much more coming. Please stay with us. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM. This is Soul to Soul. Back on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kedesh. Parashas Turuma Tav Shin Pei Gimel as you prepare for another monumental Shabbos, the first Shabbos of Chodesh Adar. What an exciting, what a special, special time. As we always do at this point on the show, to just give you all the important times you need to know to get this Shabbos underway. So first of all, the earliest time for lighting your Shabbos candles this afternoon will be at 523 523 is the earliest time, and as I say, it's imminently doable. It's still virtually two and a half hours from now to, to, to get there, get the house organized, get the food on the platter. Obviously, uh, having negotiated and dealt with all the, all the load shedding issues that might be relevant, this Shabbos seems to be with this stage six seems to be quite a challenge in terms of how to get food, how to, how to keep food, how to, how to try to make a, a challenge for Shabbos. Very, very challenging. But we have to remember that these are things not to be blamed on Eskam or whatever it is. This is Akarish Baruch. Akarish Baruch is giving us certain Nisyanis, certain, uh, uh, kind of situations that we have to deal with and we have to use it to grow, we have to use it to come closer even to our Kaddish Baruch Hu than, than before. So 523 is the earliest time for benching licht. The latest time for benching licht today is at 25 minutes past 6, 625 is the earliest, sorry, is the latest time for lighting Shabbos candles and again that is really the deadline do not use the time afterwards, even though, of course, uh, a shkia is at 6.43, 18 minutes later. But please, 6.25, really everything needs to get done. We need to usher in the, the ambiance, the incredible, incredible splendor and kedusha of, of Shabbos by then. Although, of course, many communities still use the standard uh, Shabbos entry time for Johannesburg, which is quarter past six. Of course, there's not that much of a difference be- between them, but certainly by 6.25, one has to have the candles lit. As I say, Shkia is at 6.43, and therefore, if you want to daven Mayrev and uh, and not have to repeat uh, Krishma, all you have to do is wait till 7.01. 7.01 is ready nacht, is ready night. So by the time you get home from shul, you can certainly say Krishna and then have done that mitzvah, so say the rice, that special mitzvah of reciting Krishna at night in its correct time, and then sit down. It's a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos. Shabbos, Kodesh, Pashas, Truma. We're talking this week a lot about the Mishkan, about the building of the Mishkan, but at the same time also preparation for Chagapuram is already well, well under underway. And uh, we have to appreciate and enjoy it and, and make the most of Shabbos every single time we, we have it. Tomorrow morning, we'll lay in, of course, Pasha's Truma. And there's no, this is a Shabbos where there's no special 
Maftir uh, attached. Lastly, we had Pashish Please, God, next week, which is the Shabbos before Purim, we will lay in Pashish Zohar. But this week is just normal Pashish Truma, and then the regular Haftarah that we usually lay in uh, about Pashish uh, Truma, which is, of course, Shleim Melech building the Beis HaMikdash that parallels the Pasha of Moshe Rabbeinu building the the uh, the Mishkan. Uh, Shabbos afternoon carries on. Shabbos this week is over at 7.14. 7.14 is the end of, of Shabbos. And then we go into another busy busy week, the penultimate week before, before we get to Chag HaPurim. Now we are... We started talking last week. We didn't really get to finish the discussions. So let's just go go over it. We're talking about, you know, we learned already before that a creation, a, a, a vessel that's on the fire, can cook anything. A klisheni, you know, it's once something is transferred from the creation, so that can only cook things that are easily uh, cookable. Klishlishi, once it's already been poured from a klisheni to a klishlishi, generally doesn't cook at all. However, the, 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 our poiskim debate the following question. And that was, what would be the salachic status of a solid mass of hot, of hot food? Some say that the there's no difference. That even if it's a big blob of solid foods, so the same laws apply. Once it's an eklishlishi, you have no problem at, uh, at all, right? Once you put it there, it cannot cook any kind of food. And that is, in fact, the opinion of most <coughs> of the Paiskim. The Ramah, the Vilnagon, Primagodim, and Chasim Seifer all hold that way. However, there are Poiskim that were were more strict about this. And they Paiskins that all foods, right, that generally are in a klisheni or a klishlishi don't cook. That was said specifically by either liquids or things that are soft. That because again because they're liquid or soft, they come in contact with the whole uh, radius, the whole uh, 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 sides, all the sides of the dish in which they're contained, because of their very, very nature. And therefore, the vessel, which was a cliché, didn't go on the fire, never got hot, was cool in its essence, therefore will have its effect on the liquid or soft food, and it will cool it, cool it down. Once you transfer it from the Klishen to the Klisheni, and certainly from the Klisheni to the Klishlishi, there is no ability in that vessel to cook. But when we're talking about a big, solid mass of food, let's say, for example, a, a, a big roast, a piece of meat, or, or, or a kugel, or, or a potato even, or even a, a, a a clump of rice that's sort of all joined, all joined together. So since they 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 become like a solid mass, so the heat remains sort of closeted inside that mass, and therefore they're not so influenced by the sides of the dish and where they're contained, and therefore they say so long as they are hot, i.e. Above the heat of Yad Saledespai, even if they are in a Klishlishi, they have the ability to cook. And that's the opinion of the Magen Avram, and therefore also the opinion of the, the Mishnah, of the Mishnah Brura, and, uh, and in, in Simon, in Simon Shinches. Now, practically speaking, since it's, it's, we're talking about a serious matter. We're talking about a possible violation of an Isser de Raisa. So therefore one should be strict. However, 
any time that there's some additional factor, halachic factor, that comes into play, right? So then, let's say uh, uh, what that could be also brought to bear to deciding whether or not there is cooking taking place. So then you'd be allowed to be lenient even the chalchila. Therefore, for example, any time that it's possible to touch, it's cool enough to actually touch the the solid mass. So then it's even now now a a doubt. Maybe the temperature actually isn't even above Yatzalera's point, and you don't have to worry. Maybe then you don't have to worry that it might be able to to uh, to cook. And even if it's clear that it is hot enough to be Yatzalera's point. So you'd be allowed to take, uh, let's say, some cold gravy that has already been cooked and pour it over. Why? Because, as we said, there is a great body of poiskin that hold that there is uh, uh, no bishel acha bishel by 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 liquids, as we discussed actually a few a few weeks ago. And therefore, I can put salt also on that. Uh, on that, on that food, because we're of the opinion that even in a clearition that's not on the fire, you're allowed to put, to put salt. And let's say I have a kugel, I could put some pickles or some other raw vegetables, uh, on, 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 on some meat, etc. because since your intention is not to cook them, they, they, they will paskin more, more leniently. We'll be back in a moment. This is 101.9. Hi FM. The program is Soul to Soul. And this is the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb. Only on 101.9 Hi FM. 101.9 Hi FM. This is Soul to Soul. Back on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kodesh. Parshas Teruma. Tough Shin. Pay in Gimel. As I said, we're preparing for an amazing, amazing Purim. But we're talking about the, the Beis HaMikdash and the incredible gem that the Beis HaMikdash was because it contained the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Shekinah, which chose to live there. And in fact, the whole purpose of the Beis HaMikdash and the Mishkan before that, the temporary structure which was built in the, in the desert by Moshe Rabbeinu was as a place, as an abode, as a resting place for the, the skin of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's divine, divine presence. That's what it all existed for. That's why all the commands went out to build the Mishkan. And the center point of the Mishkan, the place from which actually the Shekinah settled and, and was the, the holiest and most focal and central point of the entire Mishkan was of course the Aron, the, the, the boxes or call it a cupboard that contains the two luchas that Moshe Ben received at, at Ar Sinai and a few other, other things. That was the place where, as the Apostle says, Hashem spoke to Moshe Benu from, from, uh, from there. So after this little bit of, of an introduction, now perhaps you can explain a little bit about this Oran, it was called the Oran Habris, the Oran of the Covenant between Hashem and Yisrael. There's a Gemara in Meseches Saita on, on Daf Laman Hay on page 30, 35. And it says regarding the Oran Habris, this Oran of the Covenant of the treaty that exists between Hashem and Klai Yisrael, where they placed the Luchas, the Luchas that were the symbol of the treaty and the agreement between the Jewish nation and Hashem, that Moshe says that not only was it completely unnecessary for the the Kainim, because the Kainim did the carrying, for them to actually pick up the Aron, but rather, on the contrary, the Aron used to, what language was, Noiseyes Noisav. The Aron used to carry those who are carrying in it. In other words, it's true from kind of standing by with a, from, with a visual kind of perspective. It looked like 
that that the uh, Bnei Kahas, because that was the family that carried the different parts of the of the Mishkan. It looked like the family of Kahas was carrying the Aran, but the absolute truth was that the Aran Abris was able to carry itself independently. It didn't need any help. And not only that, not only could it carry itself, those who attached themselves to its poles to, to make it look like they were carrying it were actually carried by the ordinances. And this is obviously a, a tremendous, tremendous uh, miracle. The Gemara proves this from a posuk in, in the book of Yeshua, which is talking about when the Jews were crossing over the, the Jordan River in order to enter in order to enter uh, Eretz, Eretz Yisrael, he proves from there that in fact it could carry everyone that tried to carry it. Now, there's a very interesting comment from the Dasa Kenimi Bali Toysifis, the, the uh, Toysifis, they bring down in, in, uh, in uh, Shemois, Perachofei, a tremendous, tremendous Kiddush. And they say, really, the Aron, uh, we, we, we mentioned that the Aron was made of three boxes. The exterior and interior one were gold, and the middle one was, was wood. Said about Tosfos that in reality, the Aron should have been entirely out of, out of gold. But, since it was gonna have to be carried, by, by, uh, Mamish on their, on their shoulders. And if it was all gold, it was gonna be much, much too, too heavy. Even though, even without the middle box being gold, I mean, you think about the, the Kapiras. Kapiras, which was solid, solid gold. It was, let's say about, uh, eight to ten centimeters thick. And, Two and a half amas, let's, let's say conservatively, uh, two amas is about, uh, about a meter, uh, a, a meter by, uh, by one and a half, uh, amas by, by sort of 750. Solid, solid gold. Now that thing must have weighed a ton. But the reason the Baltus, the Baltus says, the reason we didn't have all three boxes made out of gold was because then it would become too heavy. And it continues on and says, even though we, we say that, uh, that, uh, it carried, that the arm was able to carry those who were carrying it and therefore, uh, there would be no, no problem at all. Uh, the arm could carry them easily. It says, no, that was only the fishoyahoya. That, uh, was only for that period of time, but it wasn't necessarily true that that would happen for the entire history of, of the Aaron. In other words, the Aaron was made mostly, the middle thing, the middle box was made out of wood, right, as is commanded in the Torah, in order that it shouldn't become too heavy, right? And, uh, because then, you know, uh, they wanted it to be that it should be something that should be very, uh, relatively simple and easy for those who are carrying it to carry it. So therefore, the nace of Nosa Aaron es Nosov, right, that the Aaron carried, uh, uh, those who were, who were carrying it, right, and, and in terms of the Yarden, uh, transported them across the Yarden, he says was a a once a once off the fisha for that particular time, and and that's why uh, for that particular situation, Hashem did the miracle of allowing them to be transported across the Aron by the by the by the uh, by the Aron itself. But it wasn't necessarily true, and therefore accommodation had to be made, arrangements had to be made that the Aron should not be too heavy. So that those who were charged with having to carry it would be able to, to at least on some level, be able to deal with it and, and, uh, and, and, and carry it. So, problem is that this is a very, very tremendous chiddush to say that this only happened this one time, but all the other times 
the people who were carrying it actually had to carry it. And then the reality is that most of the other commentaries don't, don't hold like that. They all sort of say that the Aran always carried those who were supposed to be carrying it on, on a regular basis. For instance, even the, uh, the, the Ramah, the Ramah in his, uh, Sefer, Tairas, uh, Ha'ila, he brings there that when Klai Yisrael, uh, crossed over the Yardane, so the Aron carried those who were carrying it. And he explains why, because just like, you understand, that the Neshama of a person is not part, doesn't take up any space or add any weight or bulk to the body of a person. And, and, and it, by miracle, it's, it's maintained and, and, and does its job in, in the, in the workings of a, of, of a person and, and has an effect on the physical, on the physical workings of a person and the physical desires and of a person without it actually being physical or occupying any kind of space. So if that's true of the neshama, which we know is there, we know it's present, it's such an important force in our lives, but we can't pinpoint that it actually uh, takes up any space within our within our, our skeletal being. So too is exactly the same with the oran and, and the kruvim. Right? In the same way as, as the neshama carries us, Right, us being the physicality of the body, and without the neshama, right, we we would uh, we, we would just lie on the floor. We have we have no movement, no ability to to be mobile at all. And nevertheless, it looks to the world like the body is transporting and carrying the neshama, even though it's exactly the the opposite. Because right? it's well known that when a person goes. From one place to another. So obviously, his nefesh and the shama all, all go, go with it. But it's really, it's really the nefesh and the shama that's carrying us, not what it looks like from the outside that we're carrying. So too, that's the way most of them, unfortunately, understand how the Aaron worked, that even though from the outside there was a semblance that the, the B'nai Kos were actually the ones putting their shoulder to the wheel and carrying the Aaron, but the reality was it was not true. The Aaron was actually carrying carrying them. Therefore, the question is raised, at the end of the day, if the weight of the Aaron was immaterial, and anyway, it was going to carry those who carried it, so what was the, the uh, whole point of making sure that the middle box would be wood in order to make it not so heavy, in order to make it more manageable for the people. If at the end of the day, virtually everyone agrees that it wasn't them who were carrying the iron, it was the iron who was carrying them that could just as well have made the entire iron out of gold. So perhaps we can explain this based on a, a very interesting statement of, of Rabbeinu, Rabbeinu Bachaya in this sixth Pasha. He says that, whatever it means, he says that the Oren, the golden Oren that was in the base of Mikdash, corresponds to the Kisiyah covenant, <coughs> to the actual throne where HaKadosh Baruch himself sits. And therefore, he says, Kishem Shekisiyah covenant, in the same way as HaKadosh Baruch Hu's holy divine throne is carried by the Chayas, the Chayas are certain kinds of, of angels and Malachim, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu carries all of them, so too Aaron HaKayanim, the Aaron used to carry the Kainim Hanaisimasakasan. They they ostensibly were carrying the Aaron on their shoulders, but of course the Aaron was actually transporting transporting them. So it comes out that Rabbi Nabuchaya is comparing the Aaron to Akadushbarku's heavenly heavenly throne. And so therefore we need to do a bit of research. Okay, what what information do we have? What do we know? 
about Akash Baruch heavenly heavenly throne. So the Rami Pano in in his sefer Asara Mamorim. So it wants to explain. It's come to explain a a Gemara. So Gemara in in Chagiga Adaf Yud Gimel. The Gemara says that there is a river of fire, Nar Shalesh, that sort of flows and emanates from HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Kisya Kavosh, divine, divine throne. And what produces it? It's produced, I'm just saying the words, from the Zaya, from the sweat of these, of these Chayas. That is then poured, says the Gemara, on the heads of the Rishoyim in Gehenim. As the Pasuk says, the Pasuk in Gimriya says, the Saras Hashem, the, the, the storm of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, anger comes out, the Sar, Mishchoylel Al Rosh Hashem, and Hashem's, Hashem's fury is, is, is dropped, so to speak, on the heads of the, of the, of the Rishayim. So, Rabbi explains that the Malachim, those Malachim that are referred to as Chayas, or Chayas HaKodesh, perhaps, they are the ones that actually have the job of carrying the, the Kisya covered. Well, we're, Kavyachov, such a thing can even be said, the Shekinah, Kadosh Baruch himself, sits on that, on that throne. Now, in spite of the fact that these Chayas HaKodesh carry the Kisya covered, but again, practically speaking, it's the Kisya covered that actually carries, carries them. But, when is that? That only happens at the time when Klayisol down here on this earth are serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu properly. And they're causing nachas, they're causing pleasure to the Rabbani Shalom because of the way that we're behaving. And through that, then, the Kisiyah covered carries those who are, who are carrying it until the, the highest Akkadish are carrying it don't have to exert any effort at all. They don't have to work hard at all in carrying the Kisiyah covered. But when the Jewish nation has fallen short of their high ideals and, 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 are, and are not being sort of cognizant of their, of their responsibility, and they're not serving that Kaddish Baruch properly. And there are amongst them Chasvish Shalom, even people who are, are Rishoyim. So then, then the Kisya covered does not carry the, the, the Chayas HaKadosh. And on the contrary, it weighs down, becomes a huge burden for the Chayas HaKadosh to be able to, to, to carry it. And they have to work very, very hard in order to carry the Kisya covenant. And because of the effort they have to make, and again, it's all obviously all an analogy, they begin to, to sweat because of the exertion until that sweat, that perspiration, becomes what's called the Nahar Dinar, this, this river of, of which they, a, a, a river of, of fire that comes out. And because of the fact that this perspiration comes about and was created through the, or on, on, because of the actions of the Rishoyim, that that's what makes the Kisya covered so heavy and they have to work on. It's all based on the actions of the, of the evil people down here in this world that they caused with their Averis to make the Kisya covered so heavy, perhaps even almost too heavy, for the Chayas to, to, to carry it. So therefore, Mida Kinegit Mida. So this, this, uh, this Zaya, this perspiration is then poured on the heads of the Rishoyim again. Cause they're the ones that caused 
that perspiration to be created in the, in the first in the first place. So therefore, when any time a person does an avera, so he causes if such a thing could be said that the kisya cover would not be able any longer to transport the chayas. And the chayas, therefore, that carry the kisya covered, now have to sweat and work really, really hard in carrying it. And, and thus, uh, Adam Arishon with his sin, that's, that's where, that's where it all started. And therefore, he was punished. You have to produce food with the sweat of your brow. Because you're causing now that these malachim, that these chayas have to, have to sweat and work hard to carry the kisiyah covered. It's midah kenegin midah. You cause these chayas to have to sweat. Therefore, that, that is your, that is your, uh, your, your punishment. And therefore we can say the same thing by the Aaron. Because yes, the Aaron did carry those who were trying to carry it, not only when they crossed over the Yarden, but in fact, for the entire 40 years that the Jews were traversing through the, through the desert. But the condition was <coughs> that Klaeser should be doing the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When Klaeser was no longer doing the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then the Aaron did not have the power to carry those who were carrying it, and they needed the Levim, to lift it up, and it was so heavy. And unfortunately, in, in, in sort of anticipating that future time, that's why they made a lot of it out of wood and not out of, completely out of, out of, uh, out of gold. And that's what the Ramah says in, in Torah Sala, where he compares the Ashras Hashkini in the Oran to the Neshama that's in the body of a person. And the same way that when, uh, when, uh, that the, the, the life force of a person is dependent on the Shama, so to the Oran, in order that it should be able to carry those who are carrying it, it's completely dependent on the level of Ashras Hashkina that we allow in this world. And when Kaiso aren't doing the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, saying, God forbid, the Shkina left the Oran and it no longer carried those who, who needed to be to be, uh, to be, to be carried. Okay, we're gonna stop here eventually and we'll come back in a few minutes with our segment on Hilchus Shabbos. This is 101.9. Chayef and the program is soul to soul. Please stay with us. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM. This is Soul to Soul on your radio. Erev Shabbos, Kodesh, Pashas, Teruma, Tuf, Shin, Pei, Gimel. As we prepare for another amazing Shabbos, Kodesh. We're now in Chodesh Adar. Well, well, into Chodesh Adar. Today's right, the third day. We are building up and preparing for Chag Apurim Bez Hashem. Next week, we'll be devoting the entire program to discussions about Purim in, Purim in thought, Purim in halacha, Purim in, 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 uh, in, uh, perhaps a little bit of depth. But this week we're talking about the Mishkan. This week is Pasha's Teruma. Teruma describes the building of the various vessels of, of, of the Mishkan. And there's so much interesting things to talk about it. So let's spend a little bit of time talking about that this, this coming Shabbos since let's inspire our Shabbos. Let's get ourselves ready and prepared for this Shabbos, perhaps for this discussion. The very, very first of the vessels that the Torah describes its manufacture and its creation of was the Oran. The Oran which contains the, the Luchot and, uh, uh, that the Moshe Avenu received at, at our Sinai, the Oran which was basically three boxes that fitted inside, one inside the other, the interior and exterior boxes being pure gold, the middle box being wood, and then it was covered on top, and on top was a, the capoeiras, the thick, uh, cover made out of pure, pure gold with the kruvim, with the cherubs on top, on top of that. So the Torah begins, They will make, they being the artisans, the people who were charged with doing the construction work in the Mishkan, they will make an Oran, 
out of atzei shitim, out of out of acacia wood. It has dimensions two and a half by by length, etc., etc. Now there's a Medrash Tanchuma. It's actually not in this week's Pasha, but in Pasha's Vayakel, and it says that Ray, pay attention, be aware, Ma Ha'oran Chaviv, how precious this Oran was. In the overall plan of the Mishkan. Why? Shah Mishkan Kula, the entire Mishkan, Lainase, Ella Bishvilaran. The whole Mishkan, all the rest of it, all the other Kalim, the construction of the, of the building itself, were only made, Ella Bishvilaran. Only on behalf of the Aran. Shashkina Besaychai. Because the Aran we know contains the, the, the skin of the heavenly presence that was present in the base, in the, in base, in the base, in the base, in the, the Mishkan came through the Krubim, through the, through the, the Aaron. And all the miracles that happened to Kleiso, we learn about many, many things that were manifest that happened in the, in the base of Mikdash. Miraculous things. But Aaron, how you they all happen because of the Oren. Because the Shechina is there, is in the Oren. That's why this was the centerpiece. This was the, 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 uh, the highest point, the most important item of, of the entire, of the entire structure. The Ramban brings in the beginning of, of this week's Pasha, says, the main desire Hashem had in instructing us to build a Mishkan was as a place for the Shkina to be able to reside, to be able to come down, to be able to have a, a, a stronghold, a place to, to be in this world. And that was Shuharan. That took place. In, in the Aaron. In fact, as the Pesach says, I will, I will meet with you there. And I'll speak to you from on top of the Kaporis. The Kaporis, I said, was that thick cover that covered the boxes of the Aaron. And therefore, the very, very first thing that was made was the Aaron and the Kapiris, because in, in Shemayim, that was in fact the most important of everything that was, that was made for the, for the Mishkan. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, and Avtsalivov Mabez, says as follows, that Nibuzran, who was the chief executioner of Nebuchadnezzar, of the Babylonian king who eventually destroyed the base of Mikdash, was sent, this Nebuzran, was sent by Nebuchadnezzar to destroy Yerushalayim. However, uh, Nebuzran wanted to sort of change his mind and not destroy the base of Mikdash. Because he was worried that if he would destroy the Besamekdash, he would get the same payback. He would get the same treatment as the last person who tried to destroy Yerushalayim. And that was Sancherev. And we know what happened to, to, uh, to Sancherev. That in one night, his entire army, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands, of trained, sort of armed soldiers, all died at one time. So the Bajram was worried about that. So the word says, Yotza Sabaskov Omra, a heavenly voice came out and said, says, Shvar uh, Bashvar. Rashi says, uh, 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 the one who jumps over, the son of one who jumps over. Get up 
and capture uh, uh, Yerushalayim. You know, that's what he said, what was said to Nebuchadnezzar, get up and go. Or, right? Um, or there's another, another version of the, of the Gemara that says, one time you jumped and tried to destroy Yerushalayim with Sancherev, and now you're going to try, you're going to try again. Right? And, and, uh, he said to him, you should know, Nuzran, it's now time for the Besamikdash to be destroyed and, and for the Heichal to be, to be ruined. It's the time to, 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 to burn down the Heichal of Akadosh And you're the one that, ha- that has to do it. Now, in his commentary on the Gemara there in Sanhedrin, the Torah's Chaim, Wants to explain why does it? Uh, why does he have to say that it's the time for the Beis Mikdash to be destroyed and the Heichal to be burnt? And he says, so it seems that when we talk about the Beis Mikdash being destroyed, that alludes to the removal <coughs> of the kedusha of Hakadosh Baruch Hu's Shechina from from the Shechina. From the, from the base mikdash. And what does it mean the heichal should be burnt? That's partial. That so long as the shechina did not remove itself from the building, it wouldn't have been possible for anyone to dominate. It wouldn't be possible for anyone to destroy it. As, as the magician Eicha, in Eicha says, that where Hashem says, so long as I'm there, so no guy will have any power to be able to touch and destroy the the the, the base the base of Mikdash. So uh, uh, that's and and uh, you know this is uh, perhaps uh, brought out <coughs> by the the marshal of the Duvnamagid who says there was a wealthy person who bought a small son. A, uh, a leather kind of purse. Charles was very, very happy with this, with this very expensive gift and, and ran to show it to his friends. So one of them, who was the son of a very, very poor person, was very, very jealous of his friends. And therefore he decided that from that day on, he was going to every day save at least one penny so that one day he would be able to buy a, 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 a leather, a leather purse. Right? And he gave his decision over and told his decision to his father. But his father reacted and said to him, what's the purpose? What, what's the point of you having a, a purse? Even if you manage to save enough money to buy the purse, which you, which you so desire, what are you going to have to put in it? So he says, same thing in the marshal. That says HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded the Jews to make a Beis HaMikdash. But when does a Beis HaMikdash only have value? Only when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there. The moment Hashem is gone, it has no value at all. And it's, it's just like the purse that contains no money. We'll come back in a moment with much, much more. This is 101.9 and The program is Soul to Soul. Please stay with us. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.1 High FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio, Erev Shabbos, Kodesh, Pashas, Tzuma, Tov, Shin Bey Gimel, as we close off our show with our discussion of solid masses in, in, in terms of cooking. So we said that we could put uh, certain things, certain liquids and spices, but to put sort of raw spices, to put, let's say, paprika or, or, or pepper, that would be also to put on a large body of a cooked food item because there there is possibility that that could possibly get cooked because that would, uh, 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 the taste would be absorbed well into the into the food, and therefore, 
one should wait until the the solid food at least cools down a little bit to below Yat's lettuce vine, where it will be possible to to uh, to touch it, and then you'll be allowed to spice it as you uh, as as you uh, as as you want. We also want to discuss perhaps a little bit of the issue of we learned before that you're allowed to heat up on Shabbos a food that has already been cooked fully because the Isser is only to heat up a food that was raw and bring it to a situation of being cooked. But something has already been cooked before. There's no Isser to warm it on Shabbos. However, we still need to clarify, would one be allowed on Shabbos to take a food that was, let's say, cooked, could I then roast it? Or could I take something that was baked and then and then cook it? Let's say, for example, would it be allowed to take a piece of meat that had been roasted before Shabbos and put it on Shabbos into a pot of into a pot of chont, into hot food? Perhaps we could argue that since it's no longer raw, it's already been roasted properly, therefore there's no problem. Or however, perhaps the situation would be that putting it into a, 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 a pot would perhaps change its, its uh, situation from being roasted to being, to being cooked. And therefore, is it permitted or not? We actually have a machlekes as to whether that is permitted. We have the Rav Yo, uh, uh, and Mordechai and most other Rishonim who say there's no problem at all, that since that through the heat of the fire, the food was already properly, properly cooked and, and, and no longer has any connection to a status of being raw. So therefore, uh, uh, or it's already been baked or it's already been roasted. There's no longer a prohibition to cook it. Right? And, and changing its, its situation from roasted to cooked all the way around is not considered a new cooking. It's just, uh, 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 sort of, uh, considered that you're giving it a different kind of taste, a different kind of flavor, and there's no Easter in that. And therefore, the Allah, according to those Paiskim, and, and particularly the, 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 the that that is, that is mutter. However, Rabbi Loza and Mitz and others, uh, argue, uh, ab- about that, and they say you're allowed to heat up on Shabbos something that has been cooked, baked, or roasted, but to change the situation from roasting to cooking, etc., that would be prohibited, because that's considered like a new act of, of cooking. We're going to have to leave the rest of this discussion for next week. Just a few seconds left to wish you all a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos. As a family, enjoy it. Be, be stimulated. Be inspired. And to each of our radio family, to all of you, a good and good bench Shabbos. Bye-bye.